What about Jesus matters most? His birth, his life, his death, or his resurrection? A few weeks ago in The Way, our adult confirmation class, I asked the group this question, and we heard a variety of answers and reasons for these answers. We talked about how you can categorize different Christian denominations by what they emphasize about Jesus. Individual people, too, differ on what it is about Jesus that matters most to them. But most Christians I've met focus primarily on Jesus' death. Just think of the well-worn phrase, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. A church near my house once proclaimed on its reader board, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son to die for us. John 3.16 Every time I passed this sign, I cringed at the misquote. John 3.16 says nothing about Jesus dying. So why do so many Christians insist that Jesus' death is the whole point? Indeed, many churches would teach that if you can't say that, you're not really a Christian. Where does this come from? It goes back farther than you may realize, long before Jesus, in fact. From the exile in Babylon, the prophet Isaiah wrote a strange poem about somebody who suffers at the hands of the people on behalf of the people to bring redemption to the very people who persecuted him. Whoever this is supposed to be, we learn that he is, first and foremost, someone who serves God, someone beloved by God. But it's complicated. We hear in that poem one of the most unsettling phrases in the whole Bible. We heard it tonight. It was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. And Isaiah urges us to make his life an offering for sin, to take his death and give it to God who will use it to eliminate our guilt. A footnote in my Bible says we don't know how best to translate this passage. That happens in the Hebrew Scriptures more often than we might like to think. Nevertheless, it's pretty clear that we are told here that the people of God have taken an innocent life, but that this will somehow save everyone. How can this be? This doesn't square with the God I know and love and follow. The traditional explanation in Judaism is that this suffering servant is the people of Israel as a whole, suffering all over the world, to prick the conscience of the peoples of the earth, to get their attention and to call them to repent and return to God. The traditional explanation in Christianity is that the suffering servant is Jesus Christ. The letter to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus prayed to God and was heard because of his reverent submission. We also hear that He learned obedience through what he suffered. So crucial has this text been to the church from the beginning 
that many Christians resist analyzing it too deeply for fear their whole faith will fall apart. But this text is troubling. And today is Good Friday, a day when we necessarily dwell on Jesus' death. We sit with it. We pray with it. We fast with it. Today, maybe you're ready to face the cross, not as divine scapegoating, but as a mystery, an all-too-real mystery full of violence, trauma, and long-lasting, far-reaching damage, yet with a promise in it somewhere. Last night, we washed one another's feet. So, are you ready now to go wading a bit? I want to invite you deeper into this water with me. Because thankfully, there's more than one way to understand the purpose of the death of Jesus. In the earliest centuries of the church, the predominant understanding of Jesus' death was called Christus Victor, Christ Victorious. The story it told was that Jesus was a human ransom that God paid to Satan in order to set humanity free, one perfect human in exchange for all the rest. But upon taking Jesus into hell, Satan was shocked to discover not just a perfect human being, but God himself in disguise. Suddenly, hell was destroyed and Satan was defeated. This is a thrilling storyline. And we'll hear it in the course of tomorrow night's proceedings, but... The Christus Victor idea eventually fell out of favor, largely because theologians felt that God was above bargaining with Satan and that Satan, as a rebel, had no power or right to a ransom anyway. In the 11th century, Anselm of Canterbury gave us his concept of substitutionary atonement, that Jesus' death accomplished our salvation by restoring God's offended honor. An angry God, fed up with the evil deeds of humanity, needed a blood sacrifice to appease him. But because he loved us so much, God offered his own son as the sacrifice. This is that dominant theory in the West that most of us probably grew up with. God needs to punish someone violently, And sends Jesus to be the victim. There's plenty in the Bible to support it. But it sounds to me like divine child abuse. And ongoing emotional manipulation. Not a healthy, loving relationship with our creator. And there are other theological problems with it. Is there some higher law, higher than God even, which dictates that this sacrifice must take place? Is there no free gift? That is, must the debt of sin be paid back? Is there no path to redemption other than violent punishment? Well, not long after Anselm, Peter Abelard came along and he refused to saddle God with such a fragile sense of honor. He suggested a theory called moral influence. That instead of God changing his attitude, it was required that we humans change ours. Jesus' death was a demonstration of the depths of God's eternal love intended to inspire change in humankind. 
This is a little more like the dominant Jewish interpretation of Isaiah's suffering servant. The problem with it comes clear when we look around the world today. Has Jesus' death caused us to become better people? All of these theories rely on the various mentions in the New Testament of Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But in the original Greek, this word carries undercurrents of mercy, not vengeance. Mercy implies the revoking of deserved punishment. So why would any creature have to die to bring it about, especially Jesus? Present-day Mennonite theologian J. Denny Weaver points out that each of these theories appears to reduce the life of Jesus to an elaborate scheme whose purpose was to produce his death. So what role, if any, does the resurrection play? Another kind of mercy is at work here. It's not about any sort of legal transaction. It's about victory. Weaver presents his case for a theory of atonement called narrative Christus Victor. Drawing on the original Christus Victor motif along with the work of René Girard and other theologians, Weaver sees importance in the entire story of Jesus. God sends Jesus as a gift, but in collusion with the forces of evil in the world, we humans kill him. We might see Jesus' birth as bait for the evil forces, the crucifixion as the taking of the bait, and the resurrection as the surprising victory that knocks death, their greatest weapon, from their hands. Weaver writes, In carrying out his mission, Jesus was ready to die, and he was willing to die. It was not a death, however, that was required as compensatory retributions for the sins of his enemies and his friends, it was a death that resulted from fulfillment of his mission. By being born as a human being, it was inevitable that Jesus would die. Furthermore, the things Jesus said and did, upsetting the status quo and inviting a reaction from the Roman Empire, all but guaranteed that his death would be a violent one. But violent death or no, Jesus was a gift of mercy to us. Through Jesus, God intended to end any notion of vengeful punishment, to help us grow in love with our Creator. When Jesus walked among us, his message was a lot more complicated than just be nice. It wasn't nearly as simple as follow this set of rules. No, Jesus gave us way more credit than that. He gave us freedom to truly become ourselves, to learn how much God loves us, and so to fall in love with ourselves as we are in all our shortcomings, and then to use that knowledge of our own belovedness to love others as well. Through Jesus, we can be liberated from oppressive systems of shame and scarcity. Jesus showed compassion in the face of suffering. Anger in the face of injustice and joy at the prospect of self-giving work. Jesus took all our messy emotions, loved them into wholeness, and gave them back to us again. Jesus 
sanctified human life. He called it good. He called it beautiful. He enjoyed life abundantly and told us he wants the same for us. Friends, God didn't sacrifice his son to settle our debts. Because there's one more thing to recognize here. Never forget that God is a trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christ was and is God. When we colluded with the forces of evil and killed him, Jesus wouldn't stay dead. God made both death and life. How could they contain God? The promise of Good Friday is that Jesus goes with us through our suffering, through death, and beyond. So you see, nobody has ever died alone. Nobody. And you won't either. Because everything about you matters to God. Your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection. These are all assured and sacred and held securely in God's arms. Suffering doesn't redeem anything. Rather, all our suffering will be redeemed by a love so sneaky and powerful that it infiltrated and destroyed hell. And the forces of evil still don't know what hit them. But wait, we haven't told that part of the story yet. Come back tomorrow night at sunset and we'll light some kindling. Amen.